Hey everybody, welcome back to the Retro Futurist Culture Podcast. Welcome to the year 2022. What is going on? I don't know, but we're going to talk about the 1986 Transformers animated movie. I've got some special guests here. We've got Optimich Prime, the host of Ruminations from the Red Room and the founder of Ruminations Radio Network. And we've got Triple C from Brevity Box. They're going to join me today and we're going to talk about the seminal Transformers 1986 movie, a movie that scared some kids and ignited the imagination of a whole new generation of fans of animation. Um, The Transformers themselves are based on a various Japanese toy lines. We'll get into that in a minute. The movie was co-produced and directed by Nelson Shin, who also helped produce the TV series. The screenplay was by Ron Friedman, and it has a bunch of great uh, actors that you may recognize. Eric Idle from Monty Python, Judd Nelson from The Breakfast Club, Leonard Nimoy from Star Trek, Casey Kasem from the top 100 radio hits, Robert Stack, Unsolved Mysteries, Lionel Stander, John Mashita Jr., better known as the Micro Machines guy, Peter Cullen, the legendary voice of Optimus Prime, Frank Welker, who plays Megatron, and a bunch of other crazy voices over the years. And it's the very last role that Orson Welles recorded six days before he passed away. That's some crazy stuff. The music was composed by Vince DiCola, who did Rocky Four. And there's some great heavy metal hard rock tunes from Stan Bush and Weird Al Yankovic and White Lion and a bunch of other bands. Uh, all right, gentlemen, welcome to the RFC, our first show of 2022. How are you doing, Sir Optimich Prime? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me for this one. This one is definitely a fun little romp down Amnesia Lane, and I, I can't wait to get into it, man. I'm stoked. Megatron is here looking over me, making sure that uh, we do things right. So I'm excited, man. Thanks. Triple C, Charlie, how are you doing? I'm also excited. This is a seminal sort of movie, and, and I'm sure you'll go over it. But, man, I was excited that you were covering I was really happy to be invited. I'm just glad we're going to be talking about it. I'm excited. Right on, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked to have you guys here and get something in the books. Um, so uh, the movie is set in 2005, 20 years after the TV series second season. And as a kid watching this in 1986, it was like, wow, that's so far away. It's kind of hilarious <laughs> now. Um after the decepticons assault uh, they devastate autobot city optimus prime wins a one-on-one duel with megatron and ultimately sustains fatal injuries which is a huge deal i didn't i didn't think so at the time but i guess a lot of people did uh megatron's gravely injured the decepticons are forced to retreat Saving the Autobots. The Autobots are hunted across the galaxy by Unicron. That's who Orson Welles plays, a planet-sized Transformer intending to consume Cybertron. And he also transfigures Megatron to become his slave, Galvatron. Uh, This was basically, you know, this was the height uh, or the kind of the beginning of toy marketing, like getting crazy where they had the Transformers toy line came out in 84 and that toy line itself was derived from two different Japanese toy lines, um, Diaclone and Microchange. 
and Hasbro had gone um, overseas and seen that and they needed another product to compete in the toy market. G.I. Joe was doing really well. Um, they saw all these Japanese robot toys and they're like, well, what if we buy these? And then like, well, we need a story. So then they go to Marvel Comics. Marvel Comics is who they went to when they created the new three and three quarter G.I. Joe figures. And so they took this to Marvel Comic Productions and said, hey, can you guys do something with these? And they gave it to a guy named Bud Bodansky. And he created some bios for these characters uh, along with Denny O'Neill. And that's what became the Transformers. And uh, it's just kind of crazy that, uh, you know, they marketed the toys 84 and then they had an 85 to land. And then for this new movie in 86, they were wiping out the 84. Like they would carry one year and then add a new year. And then as a new year came in, the oldest year would go away. So since the movie was coming out 86, they had a whole 86 toy line. They're like, okay, we got to, we got to get rid of everything from 84. And they did it in the most brutal uh possible way and uh it affected later things because after the response to this they actually rewrote and reanimated parts of the gi joe live or uh, gi joe animated movie because in that animated movie duke was supposed to die die duke lives oh. remember if you guys remember that but he yeah, was yeah. actually supposed to die like like prime dies in this one but they changed it because of the feedback from this so uh uh i'll get into That's interesting yeah, isn't that crazy? Uh, I saw this with my brother and my cousin. We were all big Transformers fans. We saw, I mean, we the first Transformer I ever had was was Optimus Prime. My dad brought it home in 1984 um, for me as like a special gift. I don't remember if it was a birthday. I don't think it was a birthday. I think it was just like, because we did good in school or something. I don't remember. But anyway, or maybe my dad was kind of a, a gadget geek. He probably just saw it and said, holy cow, this is awesome. It's a freaking semi-truck that turns into a robot. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. so I got that, and my brother and I were immediately hooked. Um, and uh, when we moved back, at the time I lived in Texas, we moved back to Tucson. About a year later, my cousin lived here. He sort of lived near Marana, but he was also in a Transformer. So we all kind of, he was kind of like my other brother. And uh, the three of us would always play Transformers. So we went to see the movie in the theater. Our moms dropped us off. They went to the mall or something and left us to watch the movie. And uh, we were like blown away. Like we were like, this was the coolest movie ever. Because A, it was Transformers. B, it had way better animation than the show. They spent $6 million on the animation for this hour and a half movie, which was like the budget of like two seasons of the show. Um, and they had a, a crazy good voice cast and an awesome soundtrack. And uh, yeah, we, we loved it. Uh, I don't know if you guys can remember the first time you saw it or maybe even your, your first impressions of the movie. Uh, let's start with you, Optimich Prime. Yeah, absolutely. I, re I remember waiting for it. I was still in my little teeny tiny town in Northern Arizona and the poster was up at our little theater. This theater is so small that it has a wood burning stove at the front of the theater to warm the theater. This that like, that's how small town we were. And I remember when they put that poster up losing my mind because I was already a big fan. And in fact, I'm pretty sure I've posted a couple of pictures, maybe sent them to you hop of me, like at Christmas time with my first mm -hmm. Transformers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I saw that poster and I think that was one of the first times that I felt like that kind of anticipation for something coming up. And when it finally did arrive, yeah, it, it was an incredible uh, experience and uh, I loved it. And the animation, because even at a young age, 
sometimes you think kids can't see the difference or tell the difference. You could tell it was different because of the reflections on the Transformers, just the lighting and the shading on the Transformers looked so much better than the television show. So yeah, it was, it was awesome. And I mean, I'm sure we'll cover all the other things that this movie meant and the death of prime was something really, really crazy to experience as a kid. And there's a lot of stuff there, but yeah, yeah. Loved it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I can't forget the and and then we with no reason at all I've watched this movie I'm sure like you guys several times in my life growing this last you know 30 years plus I've seen that several times the movie's always good uh the animation you know I I don't know I didn't know it as a kid but I was I mean looking back on it now and having to re-watch it over this last couple of days having to it, or got to Come on. Got to. No, I mean, I had to as and I was compelled to like I I was happy to do it. I was excited to do it, but I was ex- it's for my own little thing. And and the perception that I can see some commonalities in the animation that I was drawn to. And the one that there is just a moment to kind of make my point here. I, when I was I was lucky enough to be one of the little little kids that watched Star Blazers as a kid on television and yeah, me too. Battle station, battleship Yamato. Was that was the yeah. Japanese uh, title. And there is a style of animation. And, and for, for anybody who doesn't know what star blazers is, you should definitely look it up. It's great. But you know, you're talking about a, a ship with big turret based guns. And there was a look to those guns and there was a way that they would draw the barrel. And it, it drew me in. And I never would have drawn the, I have never drawn those parallels before, but there are scenes revisiting it where I mean, clearly I had no idea at, you know, as a kid that it was uh, Japanese motivated animation. And, and as a fan for a long time of just animation from those kinds of sources, it, it's so reminiscent that I had a, a style that I was drawn to. You know, more than, say, G.I. Joe or something like that. I really enjoy that level of detail. And I'm not gonna, pulled me in. I'm not going to cut you too bad, but most of the first two seasons and the G.I. Joe movie were animated by the same studio. Oh, I'm not criticizing G.I. Joe. <laughs> no, I'm just letting you know. <laughs> but, uh, heads up to most of our uh, our audience. Most of the syndicated animated shows that were made developed in the United States between like 79 and 88 were developed here, but animated overseas by various Japanese studios. Most American companies had shut down their product, their animation production and it had farmed it overseas. And it was mostly in Japan, but as the cost went up, there were some that were farmed out to Korean animation studios. Uh, most of the Simpsons is all done by a Korean animation studio. So wow. a lot of animation is done um, overseas, uh, even though it's an American production, you know, written here, storyboarded here, but it's actually animated a lot overseas. And, and then in that particular time period, a lot of Japanese animation, like Thundercats, Silverhawks, Transformers, great. Great. all of that was done by Japanese um, studios. Um, Sunbow was a studio that Marvel Comics set up to work with the Japanese teams and uh, got everything set up and uh, they worked really well together. It was so much fun. I just remember as a kid, um, I was in 
in that at that time is either New Orleans or Dallas. And I saw that movie in Dallas at a theater. And I mean, it might have been I saw several animated movies growing up, and that was one of the few animated movies where it was filled with kids, filled with kids. And it was just an awesome experience. Um, uh, I, I don't know how else to it just stuck in my memory. Made me a fan for life. Right on. Yeah, same. I mean, like I said, I my love affair started as a kid when I got the first twin. I was like, this is really cool. It's a freaking semi-truck that turns into a robot. You were lucky to get Optimus as your first toy. What was your first toy, Mitch? Uh, I would I would have to say it was, I think it was Megatron and... Damn. I wanted Starscream, but it, I think it was Megatron and Thundercracker. Was that... Ooh. Yeah, or Skywarp. Um, Skywarp was the black two. and purple. Black planes. and purple, yeah. And then I think directly following uh, was Soundwave. As you can see, there was already a theme in my life with the uh, bad guys. <laughs> no, <kind of> <laughs> not you. Yeah, I had Prime first. I didn't get Prime until much later. <laughs> yeah, I had Prime first, and then I remember my brother and I being at, maybe it was TG&Y, this would have been in Texas, and they had a little end cap with the mini the mini Transformer Autobots, and uh, I got Bumblebee, and my brother bought Cliffjumper. Yeah. Nice. My third really Transformer Bumblebee. was Starscream, because I saw the jet, and I was like, God, I have that. <laughs> I don't even think dead. I had seen the show at that. The show maybe had just started airing or hadn't quite aired yet when uh, the toys were coming around. Um, but anyway, let's get into the uh, the story of the movie. And this is like one of those lines that I, I can remember this New Year's Eve 2004. As we rolled into 2005, I had had a few drinks and I said the line, it is the year 2005. The evil Decepticons have conquered the Autobots <laughs> home planet of Cybertron. <laughs> the Autobots operating from Cybertron's two moons prepare a counteroffensive. <laughs> That's the first thing that popped into my head. Autobot leader Optimus Prime sends a shuttle to Autobot City on Earth for supplies. However, their plan is discovered by the Decepticons who kill the crew. And this is a brutal scene. Like Megatron comes in and the, he just blows away Ironhide, Prowl, Ratchet, Brawn. Like all these heroes from the first two seasons of the show and just brutalizes them. And they hijack the shuttle. It's vicious. Even I mean, it is. That, that Dude, last shot. That last shot on Ironhide. Oh, yeah, where Ironhide's begging for mercy. He's, like, grabbing Megatron's leg, and Megatron says, pathetic, and he just blows such, him such away. Pointless, what do you say? Such pointless heroics or something yeah. like that. And he just – I mean, even the perspective, that's the weird thing, right? Like, as an adult, you pick up that the perspective is from Ironhide, basically. Like, you are <laughs> getting get blown away. Waxed, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. It's definitely, like – it was one of those things where I think that – they had a the animators and the writers maybe had a little too much fun forgetting that their core audience was probably a lot younger because <laughs> this movie has got some serious, seriously violent confrontations. Um, that's just oh, kind of yeah, how the eighties were. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about that when during the the duel between Megatron and. Prime, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, okay, on, okay. Sorry, on. I was thinking about the same Hold thing. on to that thought, Charlie. Hold you got on to that it, you thought. Got it. So the Decepticons hijack this shuttle. They're coming towards Earth, and on Earth we see uh Daniel, who's the son of Spike, the kid from the original series, because as you know, it's been 20 years. Uh, who single-handedly set my desire for a hoverboard in my brain. Right. 
Yeah, so uh, we meet Daniel, and he he's with Hot Rod, this younger, kind of edgy uh, generation uh, X John Hughes Transformer. He's got flames on him, and he's voiced by Judd Nelson. He's of really course. Cool, right? <laughs> of course. And they're like, hey, the shuttle's coming. And then they're like, hey, let's go get let's go take a look at it from Lookout Mountain, which sounds like the Autobot base was somewhere in Colorado, because isn't Lookout Mountain in Colorado? Um, well, it's a good place to catch the views, to watch the shuttles come in, and right. to make out with your girl, you know? You get away right. from Lookout Mountain. So Daniel hops on his hoverboard, which may or may not have been influenced by Back to the Future at that point. I'm going to say yes, because the movie yeah, I'm gonna released say in 86. <laughs> it probably went into production in 85. Well, they used to color do stuff of it too. real fast, right? It was pink. Um, they get to look out mountain and they both notice there's a hole in the shuttle and the Decepticons are on there. So the hot rod starts shooting at it. And this is where we're introduced to cup. Who's one of my favorite characters. He's like this old veteran transformer here, here. who's been around like longer than prime. He's got like, he's like a world war two vet. Like if you were in the eighties and you had an uncle or relative that had been in world war two, this is what they sounded like. They're like, whatever, you don't know nothing. I was in more battles than you can count, you know? Yeah. When and, uh, like he's from hell's kitchen, New York. Right. <laughs> um, and it's at this point where they call, we need help. Optimus and Optimus prime shows up and Optimus and Megatron finally do something that as like as kids we had watched the show and always wanted to see there was always hints at a battle like this but it never happened until this movie and optimus and megatron go at it in this cool hand-to-hand combat where megatron has like a freaking lightsaber and optimus has like a freaking laser axe that comes out of his arm and they just literally beat the crap out of each other like it's amazing um you know, in the final blower, Optimus Prime basically does like a Street Fighter Two style, like shuriken, <laughs> just knocks Megatron up over the ground, and then, um, you know, he's gonna get. You know, he's thinking about getting rid of Megatron. We don't know if Optimus Prime was really gonna do it because Hot Rod interjects and uh, kind of messes it up a little bit, and then oh, Megatron he would have done it. He was pissed. He yeah, was, you think so? You think, you think oh, yeah, Prime would have gotten rid yeah. of Megatron at that point? Yeah, it's like you who have no I feel like mercy Prime was like, for it. I feel like Prime was like Batman and Megatron was like the Joker. And as much as we always <laughs> wanted to see Batman kill the Joker, we know that he never really would have crossed that line. I kind of feel it's the same way. It's that same archetype, right? You have the, the hero character who wants to help everybody and doesn't really want to have to cross that line and murder anybody. And then you have the crazy guy that will cross the murder line to get his point across. But yeah, I mean, he could probably argue for either way, but that's kind of how I've always felt like prime was, was kind of like a Batman style character and that Megatron was definitely more like the Joker. Although Starscream was a little bit more like the Joker. Um. Yeah, he was. And I thought hot rod, like the fact that, that prime was like, Get, get him out like he didn't want to pull he I, to me i interpreted it as he wanted to pull the trigger but he didn't want to hit hot rod yeah for sure and i think hot rod had a good he knew megatron was up to something shady he had good instincts but he was just young and and uh irrational so hot rod interferes megatron ends up blasting prime in the process though megatron is dying at the same time um but that turns the tide of the battle, along with the Dinobots, who, as a kid, I will have to say, I was obsessed with dinosaurs. So when the Dinobots first came into the Transformers world, they were, like, instantly some of my favorite characters. Yeah. Now, 
the comic book versions of the Dinobots are a lot different than what we get in the show. In the comic books, Grimlock is a lot more almost like Wolverine. He's dumb, but he's a warrior and he's a badass. In the cartoon, they kind of make him just like this bumbling oaf, which works. <laughs> Learning, but it's disabled. not it's not quite as fun. Um, <laughs> Me, Grimlock, but the Dinobots, right? The Dinobots help turn the tide the decepticons withdraw and somehow astro train can transform to be so big that he can hold all the decepticons so they can fly away <laughs> yeah can i make a point on this i love this little like the, uh, the crazy uh, size changing geometry yeah i don't know if hank pym has anything to do with their technology but it's the same thing with megatron right like he's he's giant he and can then turn into point... a human size handgun but yeah. he can also turn into a starscream size <laughs> right, handgun right right, right exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah or Soundwave can turn into like a human sized tape deck or he can turn into a weird cybertronian like spy mobile thing that he did yeah one of my favorite toys Soundwave. Soundwave was one of my yeah. favorite toys i think the coolest uh, thing was too. yeah that it was the interaction that you could transform the little cassettes and actually store them in him and that was just i don't know why that was one of those things as a kid that was like whoa I loved it. Or yeah. that, like the guns, his shoulder rocket launcher and his gun actually turned into the batteries that you stick inside the thing. Like the the designs. Let me just pause for a second and just talk about that. So, a lot of those original designs for those toys came from those original Japanese toy lines, Diaclone and Microchange. A lot of those toys were designed by Shoji Kawamori, who was the creator of Super Dimensional Fortress Macross, which was later adapted into Robotech. Oh, my God. And also uh, uh, Kiyaki. Franchise is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other designer was also from Macross and Votums and uh, Super Dimensional Calvary, Southern Cross, and Orgus. Uh, yeah. So a lot of those original... Um, designs came from those japanese designers that later and this is before kawamori this was like right as he was he was doing all this design work kind of um contract and then he got the deal to work on macross and then he became like a superstar in his own right but i know he's he is credited for designing optimus prime who in the uh, diaclone toys is called convoy so uh oh, that's interesting that's crazy stuff, right? Um, okay, so back to the story. Um, so it's at this point, Optimus Prime is on his deathbed, and he passes the Matrix of Leadership. So it's the first time we hear something about this. He opens his chest, and we're like, what the hell? He's got this crazy, it almost looks like a heart, but electronic. And he passes it to Ultra Magnus, and... Uh, as a kid, it was interesting because the toy of Ultra Magnus was basically a white Optimus Prime that had a different trailer that transformed him into like a power suit. Another 18-wheeler. Um, I used him as the ghost of Optimus Prime. I was going to say, I think That's all of I us did that. I think yeah. everybody did that because because in the show, they never show Ultra Magnus transform without the trailer part, right? He always has the trailer part on. But the toy itself was basically a white, a pure, almost all white version of Optimus Prime. I think his legs were maybe gray, but everything else was white and his faceplate was a little blue. Yeah. But yeah, he looked like a ghost. And I think that's what my cousin and I did. We made him the ghost of Optimus Prime. Um, so uh, 
and his chest opened just like the just like it was basically just a repaint of that toy that was a way for them to save money um and uh it's caught by hot rod who hands it to ultra magnus and then this is like one of the cooler parts in the movie is optimus prime you know says that and then he slowly just fades like from color to black and white like if he went from being a color movie to a black and white movie and then kind of crumbles and Which is really interesting point, right i mean that's right kinda, i mean it's very i know we're we're talking about animation but it it is it is it's it's a little shocking. I loved it because I liked the animation. I preferred that for whatever reason. It didn't like it upset me though. I mean, I was clearly devastated that he was dying, gone. But the way it looked was just the color leaving the body is what I think is crazy right. impacting. Like very powerful. It was a great way to show that. I mean, if you've ever seen somebody you know and like living and then you go to a wake or something and you have to see the body there there's there is a lack of color even though they do makeup and stuff there the you can see that the life force is gone right um yeah it's crazy right. uh the decepticons yeah. withdraw from autobot city with an astro train and to conserve fuel they need to jettison their wounded, and this is where Starscream makes his ploy. He's been trying to usurp leadership from the Decepticons for years, and uh, Starscream, you know, decides to make that happen, and he throws the wounded Decepticon out into space, and that's Megatron, Thundercracker, some of the Insecticons. But not before a vote. That's what I thought was hilarious. As an right. like, I, I love the 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 like the need for democracy. The eyes have it. You know, and everybody who votes against being thrown out is clearly hurt. You know, there's also <laughs> a great line in that part where uh, Soundwave's talking about being the leader, and says, "Who would follow an uncharismatic bloke like you?" And then Rumble comes out. He's like, "Hey, who you calling uncharismatic?" And they start fighting inside of, <laughs> of uh, Astro Train, and Devastator starts to form, and it's like gets crazy in there. Um, they throw the bodies out and they're picked up by Unicron, which is the giant planet size. We don't know he transforms yet, but he looks like a floating Death Star if it was possessed by Satan Cyberpunk himself because he's got like devil horns coming out and this crazy ring. Um, it's basically a monster 3D printer that eats planets. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> And Unicron here is voiced by the legendary Orson Welles in his last ever speaking role. Um, and I guess it really taxed him doing this. He was pretty overweight in his later years and not doing well health-wise. Um, and Unicron says, I will make you more powerful. You just have to get me the Matrix of Leadership. And he transforms Megatron into Galvatron, uh, who's now voiced by later Nimoy, and he converts the other bodies into cyclonus and scourge and the sweeps who are all kind of these the the interesting thing about all this this particular 86 toy line changes we went from the very angular looking transformers of 84 and 85 and now we're getting into the smoother 80s era design this would be reflected in like the newer like the ferrari f40 like everything from 86 up where things were starting to not be so angular and we're starting to get some curves on the cars yeah um 
the whole design of, of uh, electronics at that time period started to get a little less hard-edged. And that's because they had better computer-aided design, right? And they could fabricate better. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. And I also remember all these toys had little gadgets like Galvatron had the light thing and it made sound. And, you know, uh, all of them, yeah, all of them had a little bit more of a different look more plastic too they didn't have nearly as much die cast as those first two years of toys did yeah megatron as a toy transformed into a gun with a kid walking around with it i remember a uh, realistic a pretty realistic looking walter p38 yeah very realistic and i remember stories you know you would hear well my mother would hear news stories uh in the 80s of some kid walking around with a toy that looked enough like a real gun because that was back when super soakers looked, they were painted black and looked like Uzis. Yeah. You know, and uh, it, <laughs> those weren't super soakers. Those were, uh, and a tech, they were, that was a different, uh, water gun. Super soakers were after that. Oh, I'm totally right. I'm merging those two memories, but that there were water guns that had an automated motor that would. Yeah. Yeah. You put batteries in it. Yeah. Um, and I, my mom was freaking out with telling me not to take that, Intertech. that toy out. That was, they were Intertech. I had one of those. I loved, dude, oh, let's, I that's love an episode that for another time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, I was just saying the Megatron. Yeah. Uh, it was a very, know, yeah. I was looked, told not to go outside with that toy. Right. Right. So they turned him into Galvatron, which was more of a uh, purple tripod, a big purple sci-fi looking tripod mega cannon thing that looked nothing like a handheld gun. He could turn into like this handheld ray gun thing, but it still just it didn't look like a realistic gun at all. Um, yeah, so uh, he's turned into Galvatron and he goes to Cybertron, disrupts Starscream's coronation, and disintegrates him. So we lose Starscream now. Um, and one of my favorite lines, like, of throughout, like, I think it's the some really menacing statement to me. Like, that when his entrance into that moment, yeah, he's like, the coronation, this is bad comedy. Like, that yeah, bad. Yeah, him. Yeah. yeah, and then oh Rumble, Rumble again with a great line. He's like, "Who's what's that guy say his name again?" And he's like, "Galvatron." And they're like, ah, all the Decepticons are like, "All right, we're gonna get behind this guy." <laughs> <laughs> they just kind of follow whoever's the strongest. Um, and then Galvatron uh, gathers the Decepticons to try and find uh, Ultra Magnus so they can get the uh, Matrix of Leadership. Um, this is kind of like an interesting part in the movie because the, uh, the Autobots escape in separate shuttles, which are shot down by the Decepticons and crash on different planets. Hot Rod and Cup are taken prisoner by the Quintessons. These weird, like, five-faced cyborg beings that hold these crazy courts where whether you're guilty or innocent, they still feed you to the Sharkticons, which are like these transforming shark piranha monsters. Um... And while they're there, they learn about Unicron from Kranix, the lone survivor of Lithon, which is the planet in the very beginning of the movie that Unicron eats. Um, Hot Rod and Cup escape because they're aided by the Dinobots. This is another one of those. This is like the comedy. The Dinobots have all the best comedy lines. Sludge, the Triceratop Dinobot, like crashes this door down, smashes the 
quintessence judge and says, excuse me. And that's also <laughs> where we are introduced to Wheelie, who's kind of like the new Bumblebee. He's like the younger kind of kid transformer. Um, and it, they kind of make him look like he's wearing a baseball hat, maybe to relate more to kids. It could just be a design. Um, hey, point. I have a baseball hat. Right. <laughs> the other group of Autobots land on the planet of junk where they are attacked by the Junkians. Um, and that's the, the Junkians. Rekgar is voiced by uh, Eric Idle from Monty Python. Uh, Ultra Magnus secures the remaining Autobots while attempting and failing to release the Matrix. He's destroyed by Galvatron, who sees. So we get Ultra Magnus for not even a season of the show. He dies in this movie. It gets pretty, pretty decimated. Um, the Autobots befriend the Junkions led by Rekgar and this is where Hot Rod uses the line Cup told him earlier in the movie about the universal greeting <laughs> Ah weep grana weep ninibon <laughs> I weep grana weep ninibon <laughs> um, and that becomes part of the uh, Autobots support crew I'm going to say that to my wife the next time she's mad at me yeah, it doesn't work. I tried that like 20 years ago. <laughs> Good luck with that. That's funny. I even tried it while holding a pack of gum to replicate oh, the, wow. the Energen. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, man. <laughs> so at this point, Galvatron has the Matrix and he basically threatens unicron because he's like okay now that i have what you want i'm gonna make you my slave and uh that's again that's that ego that same ego that megatron had galvatron has now where he thinks that if he has something of power he can take over unicron then transforms from the spherical satan printer into this giant horned winged like devil looking transformer monster that's so huge that he just like grabs he's like climbing up Cybertron. He's at least half the size of Cybertron and just started to smash it. Um now that you said you know, it was written by Marvel, it makes me think that that was just that was a Galactus had to be uh, uh some idea of motivation oh uh, for unicron uh, yeah. possibly so marvel did the comic series and the animated series was a different team and they decided not to follow the they took some of the ideas from marvel's comic book like the character names um cybertron and a few things but the story of the transformers animation and the story of the marvel comics are quite different. The same goes for GI Joe because the comic book could stay more in that teenager to adult age range, right? Uh-huh. Um, the GI Joe comic was the same way. Like the GI Joe comic, the characters in the comic, the stuff that Larry Ama did with Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow was all way above what the cartoon version of GI Joe did, you know, because of 1980s syndicated TV rules. And that's part of the reason why. So the animated series did, but yeah, possibly Unicron was inspired by, by Galactus. I'm sure had to have been. Um, So Galvatron tries to attack Unicron. Unicron swallows him in the matrix. The Autobots crash their spaceship right through Unicron's eye that, that Wheelie helps them get from the junk planet. And, um, Daniel saves his dad with his cool mecha suit, Spike. 
And they also are able to rescue Bumblebee, Jazz, and Cliffjumper. So we get three of the classic Transformers save Cliffjumper, played by uh, Casey Kasem, and Jazz by Scatman Crothers. Um, wow. Scatman man. Crothers from The Shining. <laughs> wow. And uh, Galvatron attempts to form an alliance with Hot Rod. But Unicron forces him to attack. Hot Rod is almost killed, but the last second he recovers and activates the Matrix. And then all of a sudden, he grows like 10 feet and becomes Rodimus Prime. And his voice drops like two octaves. becomes a new <laughs> Autobot leader. Um, he and and tosses, it becomes a truck, right? He becomes a semi-truck, too, in his own right. He's right? more like a, you know what? So he goes from being this really cool, like sort of futuristic Hot Rod-looking sports car into like... You know, like the camping RVs that kind of look like a <laughs> 1980s van, but then there's a camper on the back of it. That's kind of what he looks like, but, but a hot rod version of it. He doesn't really look that cool. I remember as a kid and the toy, the toy of Rodimus Prime sucked. That toy yeah, it was terrible. He was not posable. He looked crappy. He looked good in vehicle mode, but in Autobot, in his robot mode, he looked terrible. He was all like anorexic. And the trailer just opened. It had this giant blaster cannon. Like, it wasn't nearly as cool. Like, Optimus Prime's trailer opened and had that cool robot bay. And it could fire little missiles. And it had roller that shot out and, like, all this cool stuff. But, yeah. Rodimus Prime. Uh, I liked Hot Rod. I didn't really like Rodimus Prime like as they developed him in the season three of the show. And I think that's part of the reason why in season three of the show they bring back Optimus Prime and then Rodimus Prime disappears. That was just kind of a wasted opportunity. Um, I had the Hot Rod toy. Hot Rod was great. And then, so as a side note, I was always a huge Transformers fan. And when um, in the late 90s, early 2000s, they brought the comic book back from dreamwave productions and i got into transformers again and i started collecting them again i had a massive giant collection i even i mean i was collecting everything but they had put out this line called transformers alternators and they were current like 2005 automobiles but reimagined as transformers so they did hot rod as the 2005 ford gt race car and oh, I gotta cool. tell you, that was a fucking awesome transformer. I had, I, mean, I bought a, I had, I had a I massive, massive collection of these. And then I, I sold that them. up. I bet that. Yeah, it's cool, pretty cool looking. Man. It was cool looking. This is all before children. Once I had kids, I had to really pare down my hobbies, and I got rid of all of my transformers. I don't think I have a single one. I might have a Grimlock somewhere, but yeah. I, I anyway, my whole life, I, to this day, in my in my tool bag. Uh, and for any guy who's worked on a house remodeler, you've got a bunch of stuff that's just imagine it screwdrivers, a uh, knife, whatever. right? And in my tool bag for years and years, when uh, I'd say it was like 2007, 2008, I was going through some old boxes and I found one of those micro bumblebees from right middle of the 80s. I'd somehow had it the whole time, and from the, I have a zipper pouch in my tool bag, and that thing is in my tool bag at this moment and has been there for years and i love coming across it sometimes i unzip that bag that little bumblebee i don't know why it means i don't know all the reasons why it means so much to me but i love it and i've always loved it it's great 
Yeah, so at the end of the movie, um, Rodimus uses the Matrix power to destroy Unicron, and it blasts away his body, but you see his head float off. Then he escapes with the other Autobots. Um, the Autobots celebrate the wars in and retaking the home planet, and Unicron's severed head now orbits Cybertron, and that sets up season three of the show, which starts right from that point. And they they bring back a few of the characters they killed off. And um, I never really liked season three of the show as much. They kind of like you could tell they were starting to run out of ideas or they were starting to pare down like the writing crew to have them work on other things. The comic book was far more interesting at, from that point forward. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, so other than, uh, or what other, what other cool transformers memories do you have Optimus prime or what do you remember about this movie or any other scenes that really like floored you? Or that you just like brings a warm place to your soul when you see him. <laughs> well, I'm the odd man out on this one because I have I must have had an old soul because I never liked Hot Rod. I was like from the get go when he's getting in the way, and I was like, "Son of a bitch, you cost Prime the shot." He blames Hot Rod for Prime's death. I didn't love. I liked Hot Rod's design as a car because I'm a fucking car nerd. Yeah. I don't think I really liked him that much. As I mean, my favorite character is Grimlock. I'll tell you this: my favorite oh, yeah. Transformer is Grimlock, 100. Even the goofy cartoon version. The car, the comic book version is my is my spirit animal, but the <laughs> cartoon version is just fun. Uh, but I had okay, two so Dinobots. I had Grimlock and Swoop. I had I, I, yeah, I always wanted the trike. What was his name? The Triceratops Sludge. Yeah. Uh, no, Sludge was the the Brontosaurus, Abatosaurus. I don't know. Slag. Slag <laughs> was the Triceratops. Yeah. I have so many memories and I know that a lot of people will, or at least, you know, critics will, will come and come down on the TV show and the movie is just being toy commercials. And that's, that's fine. I mean, they did, they did their job. I spent the better part of my youth hunting down transformers. And I used to go to these, uh, uh, super Chevy Sundays with my dad yeah. down in the valley, <laughs> and there were these huge swap meets. And yes, I bought tons of off brand yeah. Transformers and things. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, a lot on. of those. So, I mean, a lot of the off brand stuff. I remember this here in uh, in Tucson, you'd go to the, the old Tinker Verde swap meet, yeah, <laughs> and they would be selling the Japanese or the Chinese gray market. Uh-huh. Transformers. They were the exact same toy. It was just in, in the original packaging. So I had the um, Japanese version of Reflector, the camera guy, uh-huh. oh two years God. before they released him here. Nice. And the U.S. the U.S. version, um, they made him look more like the cartoon. But the Japanese one, the the camera turned into three robots, and they all had different colors. Um, but it was the exact same thing that was in the show. I bought a few. Oh. Tra- I bought a few things from there. I got Blaster before he ever came out here. The same way I saw it, and I was like, "What is this? It's like Soundwave, but a different guy." Yeah. And he was. It was a totally different color. I think he was. He wasn't red and gray like the U.S. one. I think he was like all gray. But anyway, so yeah. I mean, um, yeah, that was a totally different era where that kind of stuff. That stuff would like never happened now yeah i think shockwave <laughs> was another one that i got yes um, that i too. loved just i love the sound you know what yeah. interesting th- so uh here's something interesting about that uh this is just going back to my obsessive transformer collectiveness shockwave was bought um 
or came from one of those Japanese toilets. I don't remember which one, but Radio Shack USA actually bought that license before Hasbro could get it for their line. And oh. those weird gray shockwaves that you could yeah. buy at yeah. Radio Shack, they were they were legit. <laughs> they were just the Radio Shack version. And they had that for like the 85 or 86 year, maybe two years. And then Hasbro got an 87 when they actually released the purple reel. Like Bro, you just, show you totally just blew my mind because I had a gray one and I could never, I never knew why. Yeah, that was like, the Radio Shack a different one. color. Now yeah, I know my parents are just Radio cheap. Shack they saw a discount. <laughs> <laughs> No, but the same thing. thing. The same thing happened with so um, Jetfire. Oh, one hundred percent. I know where you're going with that. Jetfire Hasbro bought overseas. They bought out um, the Macross mold from uh, shit uh, Mats- Matsushiro Toys, and they bought that out as to have a another flying vehicle for the Autobots, and that became Jetfire. Now, when they went to do the show. That's when they found out that Harmony Gold had licensed Macross and turned into Robotech. So they couldn't have Jetfire look like the toy in the show. So they changed his name to Skyfire and completely changed the design for the animated, the Transformers animated show. But they could still sell the toy. But that blocked Harmony Gold from getting the <laughs> that toy in the United States under the Robotech name. So it became this whole cluster. Oh my, I had, and I had that toy because I was a, a Robotech Right. Yeah, I had yeah. to have that toy. Well, yeah, for sure. And but I remember later going like to again at the swap meet. I would go and I was like, wait, they have these jet fires that are different colors or like that match that were the Robotech ones. <laughs> right, I remember right, I right. bought the Super VF1S Super Valkyrie Roy Fokker edition at the swap meet. And it was the exact same thing as Jetfire, but painted the proper Robotech Macross way. And my cousin's like, where did you get this? And I told him where we went the next weekend and they were sold out of those, but they had oh Max and Miria. So my cousin bought Max and Miria. <laughs> so all those times that I was playing with the, my next door neighbor and playing Transformers and he was giving me shit for having the not actual Transformer. I actually had the cooler version. I had the cool, like, you, yeah, you real, like had, legit right? version. <laughs> there were some like sort of, there were some knockoffs. There were like Korean bootlegs of some yeah. of them. And there were some Chinese bootlegs of some of them. But for the most part, a lot of the ones especially if you lived uh on the west coast it seemed like mostly the west coast like california arizona new mexico we had a ton of those gray market imports that were coming yeah um from overseas yeah they were really cool like uh, and and uh i mean i would buy other ones i don't know i just i just liked robot toys as a kid i just thought they were all cool I remember buying some yeah. that weren't maybe from Transformers, and years later I saw them in an anime. I was like, "Holy shit!" Kind of like Charlie's freak out about the shockwave thing. I was like, "I had a toy of that! Holy cow!" Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, in my in my bedroom, of course, when I'm playing with my Transformers, there was definitely uh, third party toys that were you know Transformer esque, or I had a collection of little GoBots, right, and things like that that were just mixed in there i think of voltron you know <laughs> one of the arms or legs of voltron got worked in there somehow did you ever right. have to explain to your parents the difference between a transformer and a gobot oh yeah because yeah. gobots oh. suck yeah and you're like, just suck. trying your best to explain <laughs> it to them <laughs> yeah, they, I, yeah they could there's no way they could especially when i tried to i tried to tell them all the pieces i need for devastator 
Oh, you yeah. know, and they they're just struggling to put it together. And I would get like one or two. And you know, you're a really crappy kid when you only get part of what you what you you want Devastator, and they weren't yeah. going to pay for the package with all of them. So I would get like two. <laughs> like, oh, I can transform into a foot and a <laughs> and a backhoe <laughs> and a robot. <laughs> a I can transform into a foot. Yeah. No. Yeah, and that one was interesting because he was six, all yeah. similarly sized construction vehicles with a couple of add-on parts, right, to form Devastator. Yeah. Later on, they changed. Those officially are called Gestalts in the Transformer collector's world. Um, later on, they would change to uh, a variation where there would be one leader bot that was more in line of the size of the regular Transformers and then four smaller bots. Like, that's uh, the Combaticons, the Aerial Bots. Do you have uh, a Stunticons. favorite Stunticons? Stunticons. Yeah, the cars. The the remember the Stunticons were cool. They were like the, the Decepticons finally got some like vehicles, and uh, Menacer was like stunts. that black right. semi truck that like rivaled Prime. Hmm. Oh That's yeah, cool. dude! I, I, I love these awesome Decepticons. Cool. Headmasters was that. Headmasters came yeah, later. Like those, that, yeah. Um, those were the ones where you had the little tiny robot that transformed into the Transformers' head. That was a yeah. symbiotic thing that came out of the that actually came out of the marvel comics line and the japanese collectors loved it and ran with it um there was actually an entire headmaster show that was only produced for a japanese market because by this by that point the transformers here in the u.s kind of died hmm. as far as like toys and tv like other things had kind of taken over so yeah and then there were target masters where the transformer had a gun that also transformed into a little robot yeah, but I mean, uh, it's crazy. I don't know what it is about a transforming robot toy, um, but they were a lot of fun as a kid. I think because you could turn it into different things, and it just it kept your brain kind of occupied figuring out. And it, I don't know about you guys. I'd get a new transformer, and sometimes I wouldn't look at the directions. I would just try oh, yeah. to see what I could do before <laughs> I did anything. The newer transformers, I would not even touch without looking at the directions because man, they are <laughs> they are so well engineered now that you'd be afraid to break them. Like I was looking, I went with my kids and we went to Target, and I always like to see what the toys are. I don't buy them anymore, but I like to look. And they've got these new transformer toys, and they've they're recreating the '86 movie figures. They look a million times better than the '86 movie figures we got, what? and they're like half the size. Like they have a blur toy. And it looks amazing. I was like, that looks so good. And Cup, they look great because the Cup and Blur toys that I had as a kid, they look like crap. Yeah, they oh, damn it. I'm going to have to go check those out. Yeah, yeah I kind of want to see them. They're yeah. really cool looking. Yeah. Were they ever able to pull off RC? There's an RC in the same line oh, that I was wow. looking at. Yeah. Huh, that's no, cool. it all looks really cool. Like I the mean, engineering I, because of computer, you know, aided yeah. design and everything and stronger plastics and just everything. The the amount of variability they can do with these toys now is insane. Well, I remember there's a YouTube video posted not all that long ago, but I must have seen it maybe six months ago where there was a gigantic Unicron. And there is the yeah, that was a channel. He there was a limited edition. It. Yep. There was a limited edition that finally got put out. You had to pay in advance. I want to say it was like upwards of 500 bucks. It's huge. Yeah, it is. I mean, it huge. was like, cause they did do huge. one. They did do a Unicron for, um, Transformers Armada. And that was the first time they finally made one. There was a Unicron prototype made in 86. It just never got off the ground. It's in, if you have the Transformers G1 collector's guide, they show that in there. 
Um, but then they made one for Transformers Armada. But then the one you're talking about, I think, is the limited one that you had to you had to pay in advance. I want to say it was four or five hundred bucks, and uh, you had to wait a long time because they were rolling them out like in batches of a hundred. And boy, I gotta say, I think a lot of the hardcore fans bought those up and loved them. It looks cool as hell. It looks, looks like so you need cool. a lot of space for it. <laughs> uh, it was massive. Seeing the guy put it together, and then you see it in its planetary form, and then he transforms it. I mean, right. It's, it's impressive. It's impressive. I mean, I, uh, I don't know. I, I just, you're right. I mean, those toys today would probably make me angry. Because <laughs> I missed out on him as a kid. The yeah, first... and, but Go it's ahead. funny. I feel like I feel like the toys now, though, that they make of those and like stuff, are made for our generation of collectors. Not really made for kids. My kids have no interest in. My son got a couple Transformers, like one of the more recent animated shows he was into for a minute, and like he liked the Bumblebee movie, but. I don't think that kids are really into Transformers now. So the ones they actually have out there now, I think are really more for the collectors, the people that are long-time hmm. fans. I'm sorry, Mitch, you were going to say something. Oh, I don't even know. I'm just, I, <laughs> oh, I know what it was. The first schoolyard fight I got into was uh, over a Transformer. Like, oh, uh, yeah. I, I had loaned it, I had loaned Mirage to my neighbor. He wanted to borrow oh, it. And, he was one of my favorites. He yeah, snapped him in half. What? Yeah, because he, you had to twist it and transform him right? in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. And he glued him, he super glued him back together and gave him back like I wasn't going to notice. And we got in a big fight and he bloodied my nose. And it was, but over a Transformer. Oh, my God. I would have been upset. I would have been upset. I love jazz. If anybody had busted my jazz toy, I would have been very angry. And I think the thing that made that show, uh, the reason we all loved it is they put a lot of love into the designs and the characters now came from Marvel, but even the animation studio, like they had really good voice actors like Peter Cullen, the guy that does Optimus Prime really Nobody else can do that voice. He's so good at it that they don't, he does, he did all the live action movie voiceovers for Prime. He did the recent Netflix War for Cybertron series, which if you two have not watched that, I think there's three or four seasons you should. That ties like everything together from the original line to Beast Wars to recent lines, all in this really cool kind of multiverse thing. I was really, really pleasantly surprised uh, huh. what they did with that. Even ties in like a lot of the comic book backstory. I was like, holy shit, they fucking, they pulled everything out of this. <laughs> um, I love when they do that kind of thing. That, that's a, But I think I it's because the archetypes, we had those characters that you just like, like Prime was the, like the ultimate kind of self-sacrificing hero character. Starscream was the backstabbing second in command. Megatron was the guy that wanted to change the world, even if that meant killing, you know, people to do it you know Soundwave was the you know always um didn't question his leader always obeyed always followed orders always could follow direction you know and the autobots had a yeah. bunch of cool like mirage i love mirage in the show how he could just like make himself invisible or look like other <laughs> things and play pranks and then you had the the two lamborghini brothers sideswipe and sunstreaker and then jazz with his smooth voice by scatman Carruthers. <laughs> Or Hound, the Autobot that fell in love with Earth culture that turned into the Jeep. You know, there was just so many fun characters. Bumblebee, who was like 
you know, became friends with Spike and his dad in the show. Um, yeah, they was just they just did a good job. If they had they just like brought the toys over and not done any of that, nobody would remember him. I don't know who would be responsible for that sure. that choice to focus on the voice acting or even just the sound of some of those voices, like you mentioned, Soundwave and Starscream, unmistakable uh, uh, voice, like to the he point was, where. Yeah, he was yeah, actually I mean, a comedian in New York, Chris Latata. He he wasn't even a voice actor, but they heard his voice and they invited him to be on the show. And uh, he passed away like 15 plus years ago now. I mean, it, oh. it sounds like all the best voice acting for like, it sounds like Mark Hamill's Joker in some sort of faint way. That star scream sound. But this, the, yeah. the, that acting, uh, again, as a kid, you're not aware of. You know, like I'm not an eight-year-old being like the voice acting of this is really superb. But yeah. the, looking back, and you go and like you were saying the names. I mean, those are some of the most iconic voices that are in this movie. Whether it's uh, Casey Kasem, Robert Stack. I mean, these are voices that are unmistakable. Leonard Nimoy, uh, Orson Welles. Um, Unreal. In fact, the most unrecognizable voice is Judd Nelson to me because I'm always going to want to hear John you Bender. Know, you know what? I, you know? That's my first experience <laughs> with him was Hot Rod. It was later when I saw Breakfast Club. I was like, wait, that's fucking Hot Rod? Wait, before besides the voices, can we just talk a second about so the movie the movie's kind of a banger and it's really like doesn't let up on the action, but part of that is you have this soundtrack that just rips with hard rock yes. and heavy metal. You've got White Lion kicks it up right in the opening scene. Um, with their like reignited metal version of the Transformers theme, uh, it's amazing. And then you've got like Dare to Be Stupid from Weird Al. Um, Even just the rhythmic thing when Galvatron's floating through space, like that that like EDM sounding that's, slow. So that's Vince Nicola, yeah, who he did, did the music for track, Rocky yeah. Four, Cobra. He did like. He's basically 80s synth movie soundtracks. You probably go, oh, Vince DiCola did this. It totally makes me want to get up and do things. (laughs) (laughs) I had, so no lie, for a little while in the early 2000s, I had the soundtrack and I would listen to it in my uh, beat up 88 Honda Accord. (laughs) (laughs) I feel no shame in that. I still crank that like on a very regular basis. It's on my all my main playlists. And not to mention the classic Stan Bush, You Got yeah. the Touch, which was liberally borrowed by uh, P.T. P. Anderson for Boogie Nights in a story where he found the Transformers soundtrack in the clearance bin at a record store and said, oh, this is perfect for my Oh, my God. I did not know movie. that. I had yeah. no idea. That's fantastic. I love that. I cannot <laughs> believe I did not know that. I, I, look, it, Transformers may be the only and singular movie where that that song actually works right like optimus transforms and starts throwing right. like you hear it come in and it works and it's ever been you're right man the minute i hear dirk diggler just <laughs> mutilating that song dude so a funny side note so when boogie nights came out this is when i worked at bookman's there's a whole crew of us that were going to see it and uh, a couple of the people that we went with were like really big film snobs like they were really into film 
and we're watching the movie and I'm fucking crying. I'm laughing really hard at that scene <laughs> in the movie. And the guy next to me is like, dude, what is wrong with you? And I found him, I was like, dude, they freaking told us for Transformers movie. He's like, why would Paul Thomas Anderson put a song from a kid's movie in this movie? Like, and so after the movie, was after the movie or the next day we went to see a records and I showed him and he was like, get the fuck out of here. He was so like, Oh, oh so my good. God. I mean, it, it is, it is. And I, I will, I, it might be the last words I utter in this existence because it's so burned in my brain. I'm just going to be like, you're a winner. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I cannot believe he found it in a in a like he'd throw away and thought it was part and it was per, it's perfect for both movies. But when I heard for it as a kid, reasons, yeah, I mean, when I heard it as a kid, it was like it definitely got me pumped. I mean, the movie was good. It still gets me pumped watching that scene. And the voice acting, too, I wanted to say, like how adult for I mean, all Megatron and Galvatron, he keeps making these threats. I'm going to rip his ocular sockets out. Or, you know, he's like, he's always talking about, I mean, he's brutal, man. He's just talking about ripping things out of Autobots. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. Highly entertaining. That's pretty good. I don't know if we can get much better than that. Um, Mitch, you got any last words about your memories of Transformers? I love that movie. It was fantastic. I'll watch it again and again. I've purchased it more, probably one of the most, uh, one of the films I've purchased, yeah, Yeah. super repurchase um, on that one many times. And I'm sure I'll do it. I know. I've been hemming and hawing on the 4K (laughs) re-release. I'm like, oh, do I need it again? Yeah. But no, thanks, man. This uh, This has been a really good time. Thanks for the trip down memory lane. It's, yeah, super super fun it's fun to look back and and see some of those initial inspiring pieces of a created content that set a staple for the rest of your life i can look back on decades and i know for sure that's the case with you to a greater extent than me hop is that you see your passion for animation and for that kind of storytelling and it just as as a kid it just set a staple for me that i've not let go of yeah it was a it was a lot of fun and it, like i said there's something about those vehicles turning into a living being that taught almost like moral lessons on tv you know to a kid in a kid's show in a way that a kid could maybe understand like oh it's probably not good to kill somebody right uh, you couldn't watch an adult movie. It was too over the top for you to understand, but you could, you could understand those kind of themes when it was about these cybernetic beings from another planet. What's well, all right there in that, that, ba- that scene we were revisiting, right? Like the, the slimy bad guy is going to try to take a hostage and is going to plead for his life and, and depend on the good guy's mercy when he knows there's a gun right there to get his hands. I mean, it, it painted that picture of the yeah. good guy and the bad guy. It, it was great. Yeah, man. All right. Well, Autobots, let's roll on out of the RFC. Thank you, everybody. This has been the retro futurist culture. We were talking about the 1986 transformers, the movie 
Anyways, you've been listening to a production of Rubinations Radio Network. Please subscribe, rate, and review our show. We'd love to connect with you on our social media via Twitter at Futurist Retro. Visit RuminationsRadioNetwork.com for additional great shows such as Ruminations of Red Rum, Reverdy Box, Oh God, It Hurts, Cinephile Hissy Fits, and many more. Support Ruminations Radio Network at our Patreon patreon.com backslash ruminations radio and for all your burning questions and feedback drop us an email at ruminationsradio at gmail.com till all are one till all are one why did we wait the whole show for that that's crap dude that should have been in the beginning how did i forget that line wait we got to say it all together what bitch go ahead again and then we got to all say it wait wait three two one Till, till, till all, all are, are one. one. Oh, that was awful. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, guys. All right, man. Take care.